Welcome to Surviving Society, a political podcast from a sociological perspective. And today we're live at a teach out um, at Goldsmiths uh, University um, for the university and colleges union strike that's been going on for a few weeks. Um, I'm Saskia. I'm Chantal. I'm Tiso. And just to tell you a little bit about us, so I'm doing a PhD at Royal Holloway in uh, people from the north of England, living in London. Um, I did my master's at Goldsmiths in sociology and my undergraduate degree at the University of York, also in sociology. Um, So I'm Chantal. I did my undergraduate in sociology at Loughborough. Um, I did my Master's in Culture, Ethnicity and Diaspora at Birkbeck and I'm currently doing my PhD on mixed race families in the West Midlands here at Goldsmiths in the Sociology Department. Hi, I'm Tiso. I'm doing my PhD here at Goldsmiths uh, on the far right and the online space. So um, focusing mainly on white working class men and the internet. Uh, um, I'd done my master's at Birkbeck, which is social and political theory, and I'd done my undergrad at Goldsmiths back in 1996. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> and when was the last time you were in this building, too? So. 1996. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, so, what we do in this podcast is each episode we talk about things that have made us. Um, rageful either in the news or in our daily lives um this week we're going to be talking about um value for money and higher education and then we're going to talk a bit about racism in universities so as you know um lecturers have been on strike not just lecturers administrators and librarians um universities have been on strike um to try and protect their pension benefits but the strike has become well is about a lot more than that um I think you have to push a group of people pretty far for them to go from never really ever going on strike to them going on strike for weeks and weeks on end and then possibly going on strike again um, in the summer term. So there are lots of things that people are upset about, but one of the biggest things is the marketisation of higher education. So successive governments, including New Labour, you know, followed by um, the coalition and Tory governments, have been trying to turn our education system into a product that could be bought and sold. I woke up um, earlier this week to hear Sam Guyama, uh, the universities minister, talking about how in order to improve value for money in universities, we're going to start ranking universities based on how much graduates earn. So... There are, there are just so many reasons why this is an awful idea. Like, especially someone like Goldsmiths, which is mainly an arts university. Obviously, for graduates, and very little. But that doesn't mean that it's a bad... Like, it's, it's, like basically, all it's doing is privileging universities. So it's going to be like a gold, silver, and bronze racing system. Obviously, the universities are going to do best are the ones which have the most privileged students. Like, that's all it's going to do. It's, it's just going to highlight... Yes, these are the richest students and they do the most high-value degrees and then they get the most well-paid jobs. And, you know, this comes on the back of uh, the Teaching Excellence Framework, which ranks universities based on their teaching. We've got the Research Excellence Framework, which ranks universities based on their research. 
like there are league tables for the best university in the world and the best university in the world that's under 50 and the best university in the UK and like the best university for this subject and that subject. And it's just so meaningless. And it's trying to turn, like basically, you know, the government's introduced fees and they're trying to say, well, you know, um, you're paying X amount of money for a degree because you want it to get to, you know, X job or whatever. What it totally ignores is the fact that the ideals behind education that has led so many people to want to be uh, teachers and librarians and stuff in universities, like these are competitive jobs, it's because people have ideals about education which the, that like it should be something that everyone can benefit from. It should be something that, you know, allows people to expand their knowledge of the world and like encounter new ideas and you know, learn things that they would not learn otherwise. It is not just about, okay, well, if you do this, uh, this this degree is worth this much because you're going to get a job that pays you X amount per hour. Like, it's just so missing the point. And I almost feel like the government saw the strikes and were just like, oh, what can we do that would really annoy them even further? Yeah. I know, another rating system with gold, silver and bronze. Yeah. But I don't know. You see, so from my experience, so I spent... 12 years working in like the financial sector so corporate banking and so I went to university got the degree thought I was gonna get a job in investment bank banking that's what we had to do no one cares what your degree you want all they cared was where you went to university and what you got no one asked me what I thought or what thinker I liked it was all about getting the two one to get that job to earn that money literally that's what it is and that's what employers seem to care about. So who's driving this? Because yeah. they don't see education the same way as we may see it. It's something that is like lifelong learning, even though that's the kind of jargon you hear in, corporate, in the corporate sector, to keep continuing to develop yourself. But it's not about that. It's not about, it's about <laughs> how money. How much money can you make? It's about how much money you're going to make. And like, you know, I went, I went to a private school and, you know, the kinds of people who sent their kids there were investment bankers yeah. and lawyers and people who worked in the city and stuff. And when I tell people I'm doing sociology, the looks on their faces, it's just utter disgust and horror because they're like, why would you do such a low value degree? But it's like, that's because your idea of value is like, you know, how many hundreds of thousands of pounds you can make in a year. Like, I happen to have other priorities in my life, which is fine. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the things that I think sort of coincides with these these new policies as well is the growth in the rhetoric around how there's too many people going to university. Yeah. Now, we, we've spoken about this actually quite a lot over the past few weeks. What does that actually mean? If you break it down, and we broke this down actually... It, we wrote this down last week and it's stayed in my head ever since. So we mean that there was a privileged few that were going to university, that were only going to university, not that long ago, in, in my lifetime. Yeah. And now that's changed and there are large amounts of working class students now that you'll see in universities, so from, people from different classes. Yeah. And so the privileged space is no longer I- I- exclusive. It is for everyone. And that has apparently made university degrees worthless because now everyone's got them. What? No, universities are trying to be more inclusive of people from different backgrounds. um, And now you've got a problem with that. And that's what I I found really troubling once we actually broke down. What What do we actually mean by too many people are getting degrees now? Too many people are getting degrees in subjects which aren't worth enough. Well, I think it's exactly what we were talking about um, 
in our last episode when we were talking about free speech at universities, you know, this idea that, uh, you know, like basically what people don't like is that, yeah, like, you know, 4% of the population used to go to university and now it's like 50% of school leavers go into higher education. Um, and suddenly you've got, in quite a short space of time, you've got people who would never, ever, ever have gone to university 50 years ago um, are now at university. And obviously they have like different ideas about like what a university should be like or what their educational space should be like. And then, you know, you get all these people coming out and being like, oh, when I was at university, you know, it was a liberal space, the debating of ideas. We didn't have all of this, you know, transphobia nonsense, rah, rah. <laughs> and it's like, like, are you saying that basically you don't like the fact that these people are debating ideas in a different way to how you used to debate them? Yeah. Because these are people are from backgrounds that you wouldn't have encountered at university. Yeah. Doesn't sound like that liberal a space to me. I think, I think what, I think we, we often get confused with what we, what we, the ideal and the reality. So, when I've gone to these spaces, <clears throat> I tend to be the only minority. I tend to be the only black male in these kind of spaces. And what you observe is the reality is that the closer you get to the top, they reflect a certain type of person. It tends to be white, male, middle class. And when you actually, it's not until you see how these things play out in action. So there was a woman, she was really good at her job and she was being put in above another guy. Where is this, sorry? Sorry, this is in Lloyd's, sorry. Lloyd's corporate. And the reaction was so visceral and so ups they were so upset because this person was a woman. Did they say? Oh. No, no, this is actually, I, you can hear them speaking this. This is, I'm not, I'm not making this up. This is actually happened. Like, why is she getting Why is she got it? And then yeah, it's yeah. all about, she's ugly, she's this, she's that. Never met her. They never met this woman. Well, so if she was a beautiful woman, that's fine. Probably. Like, I don't, obviously I don't know. not. Like, yeah. <laughs> but what, what I'm saying is like, this kind of this kind of elitism, this kind of what where the universities are going, this is what reflects the reality. Yeah. People don't want to let other people in because they feel might, they might feel threatened. They might destabilize the status quo. I don't know. There's all these kind of irrational reasons that kind of lurk underneath. Yeah. I think you're I think you're right, and I think that's one of the things that why I find sometimes university spaces so upsetting and uncomfortable is it's like we should know better. It should be better than this. It should be. It. it but no. you're right. It. Sh it this is the reality. Like, I've got a sort of idealised view of what the university should look like. It should be a place for inclusivity. It should be about equality. It shouldn't just have... But I think we should think of, like, Durkheim. It's, we all are a part of society, and it reflects part of society. So universities are no different. They might be oasises of, like, higher learning and all these ideal things, but they're, they're part of society. And so me and my toe-rag mates, we go here, and we, yeah. we share the same attitude, you know? So... Um, I don't know, I think we should be mindful, like, universities are not oasis of, 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 I don't know, utopias, basically. Yeah, I think that's true, but I guess I think what's interesting about this kind of tension between... Tension seems like a very, like, understated word for it, but between, like, the UCU, University and Colleges Union, and um, the government and their value-for-money obsession, the Office for Students, and, you know, the kind of UCU being, like, we think education is, like something that is a social good that everyone should have access to and the government being like that's fine so long as we can like you know charge as much money as possible for it um like universities traditionally have been very exclusive places and haven't like lived those liberal ideals of like or like you know lived those ideals of like education being for everyone and um you know every time universities sector has expanded in a way that's created more and more entrenched hierarchies. Mm. So, 
you know, the original rivalries between like Oxford and Cambridge, but then, you know, in the 19th century, you start getting red brick universities and um, those are not as good as Oxford and Cambridge. Yeah. And then you start, you know, then you get the post six, uh, the 1960s universities and they're fighting with the red brick universities, but they're never going to be quite Oxford and Cambridge, but like they can still be okay. And then, you know, you get, and then you get the... Post-1992. 1992 yeah. universities. Like, do they even get to be part of the same conversation? Mm. You know, like, every, like, you know, everyone who's gone to university in, like, a smaller town, you have, like, the proper university, and then you have, like, the other university. So, like, yeah. in York, there's the University of York, and there's York St. John, and obviously the University of York is just better. And then... But you see, the crazy thing is, even though we're aware of it... You we buy into it. Yeah, so of course. I was so conscious about where I went to university, what university you picked, what courses you pick. So I'd done economics, even though I don't really like numbers. I did it because I thought it, it, it means... That's what you're supposed it, it to means do. Something. Yeah. It's a proper science. It means There's something. like maths yes. in it and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I've it's got like, numbers I and I only use league tables. Like when I was searching yeah. for my university, like league tables are like my point, my point of call. And now I know mm. like how they're put together. I'm like, I can't believe we still tell young people that this should be how you choose your university. Like it's I think so it's fair to say I would never have gone to the University of York if I had known anything about it except that it was like 10th in the country for social yep. sciences. Yeah, yeah. Like, but, but as a parent, you're not telling your kids about. Well, I'd like to think I'm telling my kids for the basis of, of learning for growth and stuff like that. But you're telling them how to survive. You're yeah. saying you need to get a good job. So for my background, my mum's telling me, listen, you need to get a good job so you can get out of here and get a, get a decent place. Hmm. And it makes sense. It yeah. does make sense. If because if a university could get me that job to move my life forward, yeah, well, I would do that. You know. I think I think just following on from that point, T, I was first. I don't represent all the. Obviously, I don't represent all the experiences of um, women of color that are working class, but I am that person. And I was going to university as a pass to get through to the next stage yeah, in life. It's to basically to try and be middle class, to try and have a life where I have money. And it's worked. And, and it has worked, but. The thing that they don't tell you about as a minority, if you want to enter these spaces, is you need to deal with the microaggressions and you need to be able to deal with class. So what do we mean by microaggressions? The fact that you stand out, like, and that your experience... People don't understand your experience either growing up or even your even existence. So when it comes to league tables... I was like, right, I'm going to go to Loughborough. I love playing netball and it's good for sociology. Like, that's me. It's the whitest place I've ever been in my whole life. And the racist microaggressions that I had to deal with, like, nearly broke me for three years that I was there. And there was no warning of that. And that's because all I used was these manufactured league tables that aren't representative of students' experiences. And because we are thrown these marketing, these marketing tools as if they actually reflect yeah. real social life, and they don't. And what I should, what I should have done my undergraduate at Goldsmiths. I, I think I we all, done, yeah. I should have done my undergraduate at Goldsmiths. <laughs> I, should have done, I, I should have gone to a place that was... It doesn't necessarily have to be ethnically diverse. I mean, that's a big bonus for me. But, like, it needs to understand that I mean I need to be in an environment where not all of my peers have um, been extremely privileged because I don't understand my life and that creates microaggressions because yeah 
I think this is different. a good moment to talk about racism in universities, <laughs> seeing as we basically are talking about it already. Yeah, <laughs> yes. So it's funny how that led on. Yeah. Marketization is racism. So one of the things that we wanted to talk about is the different levels of racism that we um, are noticing in more, more than ever actually in higher education institutions. So just giving you a few examples of some incidents that have happened over the past few weeks um, in some British universities. So um, a woman, well, these are all students, and a woman was in her dorm in Nottingham Trent University and she recorded um, some students outside of her room shouting, we hate the blacks, kill all the blacks. Um, the students got arrested and they've been released. Um, a posse could be suspended, but it doesn't look like there's going to be any punishment. Um, a guy... Last weekend, also a student at Nottingham Trent University, was sent away from a student bar in Mansfield because he has a turban, um, and he was wearing a turban, and um, another woman at the University of Bournemouth had put her bananas in her kitchen in her student halls, and she came back to get them the next day, and some students had written on her bananas the N-word and monkey... And obviously these are just like atrocious incidences of overt racism. But I think it's really important to just look at, if you look at overt racism and look at the instances and where they occur, so the institutions, and then looking at how race and racism actually plays out in, institu in institutions in a more covert way, it could help for us to understand a little bit more about why this stuff still happens. Um, and I guess... Another reason to talk about racism in higher education is, as we've said, like they're very elite spaces. I mean, you were talking about, Saskia, looking at some of the picket line pictures. Well, yeah, so following the strikes on Twitter, um, which I have been doing a lot, and just looking at the photos of um, picket lines and of marches and, like, maybe to a lesser extent, but, like, the Occupy movement, you're like, where are all the people of colour? Like, there are so few and like maybe they're just not on strike but I feel like that's pretty unlikely like universities at all levels are just like the whitest of institutions like something's going wrong there and I feel like it's maybe maybe as you say because they're reflecting society and any other institution you look at it's exactly the same story yeah. the thing is right I don't so in my life I've got I've used like I said when I go to these places you tend to be it's like spot the black geese or like oh it's my mate Richard there he is and you kind of been that for but I expect this to be this is the reality and I, I've navigated that reality and so I don't really I don't get upset I don't really get pissed off anymore I just know it, this is how it is and like I said the closer I get to the top of any institution I've been to I've tend to find that it's either less people of colour and less women less working class people more middle class people and this is just the way it is now is it upsetting I used to be upset when I was younger you just want to fight the machine all the time. But then I thought, it's how do you open up this space? Sometimes about having that conversation, why are not... So one of the first questions I asked is, why are young black males not applying to these jobs? That was the first question I asked. So there's a whole issue about subcultures to kind of deal with there. But there's also kind of what are the institutions doing as well to kind of rectify this. Now, institutions speak about diversity, but they never really act on it. It's a good talking shop, and we talk about it loads and loads and loads, but nothing ever gets done, really, because yeah. you've got status quo. 
there's vested interest and it sounds like quite conspiratorial like oh they them but when you see it in reality you know this to be the truth we all know it to be the truth but it's something that you just accept and this is this is the worst thing well, I, <laughs> as I've got older you're thinking gosh I, I'd want to change the world but as I it kind of wears you down because you think how can I change this how like even if you go, go to parliament Look at the highest places, the highest, well, where all our power is, it's yeah. white, male, middle class yeah. standard. And they all went to a certain universities, all have family connections. And you think, how do you break this cycle? But then, co conversely, when I go to my working class places, I replicate the same kind of thing. So I go to a, a working class gym. So when someone comes to who's a hipster, who's clearly middle class, we're like, you're not one of us, mate. <laughs> Can you leave the gym? You've got to right, unless, unless they happen to be an incredibly famous actor. <laughs> and, and then I'm like that, Ray Fiennes, can I, can I speak to you? But it's, it's the same thing. On a, on a human level, we look after our own, in inverted commas. Yes, uh, no, I know. You know what? I totally... I don't know. I was listening to um, Radio 4 the other day, because I listened to it a lot. And Sarah Pascoe has been doing this series. I like I keep listening to it because I can't believe that she's been commissioned to do this. But like talking about like why society is the way it is, like how come Britain had colonies, like as opposed to I don't know, like an African. Yeah, mm. why is she? Why is she why doing is she that doing documentary? Like, there are so many. Like, like don't so even, don't yeah. even. Okay. But so she's looking at it from like an evolutionary perspective because obviously she is an expert on. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. Um, and she was saying, like, oh, so because of, like, the way apes live, that's why humans live like that, and that's why colonialism happened. That's why the British colonies happened, because of the way apes live in, like, groups and don't like other groups. And I was like... I call bullshit. Like, yeah. who is, who is made, like, you know, where is she getting this science from? There was, like, no link between it. But no I think, criticality. Yeah. No different and also, it's just justifying, oh, well, then we should all keep to our own then because that's what, like, human nature is. Like, we are just apes and so we yeah. should live like that and shut people out. And I do think, like, you know, whatever, political movements and mm -hmm. currents go in, in waves and stuff. And like, we go through periods of being like, more or less open and more or less closed and more or less like obsessed with our differences. I, but I don't think it has to be like that. I, th I, think, I think we can cope with difference when we can assimilate certain amounts of people. So for example, I, like I said, I, I, I got on a graduate scheme. So I self-identified as a working class boy, got into a graduate scheme and there was maybe a, a few of us there there were limited numbers, so we can, they can be assimilated. The way ed education now is, where there's lots of people coming through, institutions have difficulty assimilating, and you can replicate this on a larger scale with the whole idea of immigration now. Like, when we have smaller numbers, we can deal with it, but when there's large numbers, people get a bit funny, because we can't assimilate them. So this is, this is so... We can't or we won't? We, well, we can manage it. So for example, if... What do you mean? Right, so in my, so when I went to work, there was, I don't know, s several working class people, a few black guys. It's a manageable number. Okay. You can bring them in, we can, you, you can, we can handle that. But if there's 50 of them, okay. oof, what do we do? Yeah. What do we do? So if we have mass education. They'll, they'll form their own group. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you have mass education and you're educating everyone, oh, there's too many working class people. Yeah. There's too many. Yeah. And that, like I said, if it's manageable, 
you can assimilate manageable in inverted yeah. commas. I think just back onto the Sarah Pascoe thing. What I'm I'm straight away. You saw me. I was like, why is she doing that? <laughs> right. It's not personal. No, and I think that no. is the, that's the thing in higher education. So I'm telling you that the sociology department is so white even here. <laughs> And I'm not having a go at the white academics here. I'm just saying you need more people of colour. Yeah. Like, that—that that is, in my opinion, what it is. And that isn't, that isn't to dismiss the experiences or that people that within that department care about inclusivity. But we have to actually do stuff to make sure... And, like, because we know as well that part of the whole marketization of higher education is, like, more insecure working practices. And we know, like... Vic Loveday, who's in the um, sociology department, you know, she's done research on like just that anxiety there is amongst university staff because they're on zero hours contracts because they don't know if they're going to get like their contracts renewed. They don't have any rights or benefits, like you know, the things that like people, like security. generations of people security. have fought to have like rights in work. There's just nothing like that has been eroded over like ten years. Um, which is a very short amount of time. So, like, being, you know, being a white middle-class person in higher education at the moment is pretty difficult. Yeah. Imagine how much harder that is when you don't have, like, family resources or, like, any kind of, like, privilege to fall back on or, like, every day you're facing, like... Um, I was following um, Priyamvada Gopal, who's a, um, an academic in the English department at Cambridge. She's an Indian woman in, you know, an incredibly white university. And she tweeted saying that um, she'd been accidentally copied in on an email from one of her colleagues. So Priyamvada had sent out an email to her department being like, it's not enough to read out anti-racist poetry once a year. Like, what are we going to do about microaggressions and, like, general racism in um, our university? And this woman had written this about her, um, saying, oh, I'm not even going to reply. She can just stew in her nasty, hate-filled juices. And accidentally copied her in. And obviously, you know, know, now she's been called out on it, like... But, you know, like, everyone knows those conversations are happening. You're just not always privy to them when, like, you're the subjects of it. And it's also, that's that's an academic that's sort of using a stereotype that um, women of colour are angry and um, hate-filled. And, like, it is. It is racist. It's racism. (laughs) And it's, it's so... I mean, I find it fascinating. I find it hurtful as well. But I do find it fascinating that we as academics there's so many people that would still act in that way but but also write about how much we should be anti-racist yeah. Do you know what i mean like it's ra- yeah. radical talk about the walk yes. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know who, who we're quoting there who are we quoting I can't there? Remember. someone it's... said it about lse the other day lol. yeah <laughs> um, but yeah no the point is yeah so Imagine being in those precarious situations, but as someone who has to deal with their colleagues, like basically being really racist towards them every day and in ways that like can sometimes are really obvious, but sometimes are really hard to pin down. I know Sarah Ahmed, she's doing um, a thing about complaining at the moment and how like complaint is a feminist issue because the amount of emotional labor that ta- it takes to complain about that kind of behavior in the workplace is huge and actually the only job that's going to be at risk is your own probably not the person you're complaining about mm. um, I don't know like I said being brought up my mum always told me that these things that's going to happen right this mm. is going to happen 
So what, what do you do? I could, I could fight everyone every day, can complain every day, but it's not going to do anything. So you, you just get on. And, and th this, is, this, is, this has been from my nan to my mum to me. And it is, this is not just me, my, my own experience. It's everyone, well, most people, most people I know experience, you just get on. Yeah. And I understand that people are going to say stuff. And before, I used to get angry, but now it's more about trying to explain or understand why you're saying that. So one of the co common things I used to get when I was in the institutions I used to work in was, you must have loads of girlfriends. You must have loads of kids. You must be good at sport. People I worked with like for years. Mm. But it's not, it's not about, um, again, why are you going to get angry? Sometimes it's just set out ignorance, people are saying it. So, I know, T, but, but there's only so much know, of that a, defending that a, I can do no, in one day. Because a, when I say the casual racism, sexism is daily, I'm telling you it's it daily. Is, so it's like... So, as, so, for example, I train, and so people always say, oh, oh you, you must have a lot of sex, or something like Yeah. Irrational things, crazy things. Yeah. I try, as academics now, it's trying to exercise your own kind of ref reflexivity and trying to explain stuff. Why did you say that? Yeah. No, it's definitely, I to agree. Understand I think it's good to talk more, to, to just say, yeah. so what makes you think that? Or like, so why are there no people of colour in this department? How do you think that's happened? Just making, I think you're right, making people think a little yeah, bit more about you, our practice. You've got, to, you've got to speak about it. Like, like I said, like, I try to think of it the other way around. So conversely, I'm in spaces that are predominantly white, male, working class not even, no, not even quite, but mainly mixed, but definitely working class. And their attitudes are just as closed and shut off, and we don't let outsiders in, and we're quite rude to people. Mm. And it's try and they're, they're the same microaggressions, but they're kind of inverse. Yeah. So one of the things that these guys are pretty bad on is um, homosexuality. So any guy that they feel looks gay or acts in a effeminate way they get labeled as gay and get they get bullied okay the difference with this group though though mm -hmm. they would be um you're talking about working class men mm -hmm. is they don't have power I know, and but, i think that's what's but, but key in, here in, particularly but, but it depends what environment it's in well, the they do over in, in gay people. well they do in that sense but like i'm talking about in if, if we're talking about an environment they're in it's all about context driven it so in the environment we're in the context we're in power is who gets respected, who gets to do stuff. Yeah. And these boys get shut out because they're not seen as part of our group. Yeah, yeah but I think the point is, is that there are like lots of different forms of oppression oh, that definitely. operate on so many different levels. But and I'm like, you know, it's like the thing, some feminists try and claim that all women have some kind of essential experience, when obviously mm. we know that's not the case because mm. women come from all different kind of backgrounds and live in different structures in society and have like varying levels of privilege depending on the context. Mm. So, you know, in that context, obviously, that group of men are discriminated against and they are shut out of, you know, all kinds of capital mm -hmm. in society. Um, but one thing they do have is they're heterosexual. So they've won that one. Mm -hmm. So it's not really surprising that... But I'm saying, like... You, you can exert that you power that. over... That's interesting, that you lack, lack that power that you do have, you're latched to it. Yeah, or, like, mm -hmm. women, you know, like... Yeah. Whatever class you are as a woman, you're probably going to be worse off mm -hmm. than men in the same class as you, so... Yeah. But what I'm saying, I'm just saying, like, it's reflective, like, same, the same situation you get with, like, in higher education, where people will shut people out. You can experience it on all levels. Like I said, when I... I sit there as a kind of sociologist, I sit in this environment, and I see guys that are... that are party to... They're being impressed themselves but would enact that same oppression yeah. to other people in a context where they have power themselves. Yeah, yeah. So, like I said, when I go to a university or when, I go to a, when I've been applying for graduate schemes or when I've got into graduate schemes, I expect to see this. 
I expect to come up against these kind of in, invisible things that people don't really talk about, but know it's there, you know? Mm. Mm. And get very defensive about if you... Don't tell me it's a black guy. It's a black guy. <laughs> 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 Should we uh, see if anyone's got any questions? Yeah. Has anyone got any questions or any discussion points? Yeah, so Guinevere and you run a sociological podcast you raised a question about our point about Sarah Pascoe and her um, Radio 4 show and we were critical of the topics that she was talking about I think the starting point for us and maybe we weren't clear enough for that is that she's a white female comedian and she's talking about stuff that we as you said like we do a lot of research here and we talk about society almost every day and she's been plucked out because she's a celebrity to do this sort of work and it would be great that's a, such a great opportunity if you're going to talk about colonialism why don't you have a person of color why don't you have an academic of color why don't you have someone that is an expert in this field mm, you know she's talking about evolutionary psychology and um you know people have evidence for like human behavior comes from sort of ape-like behavior i guess um from, like, my world perspective, I would argue that, like, a lot of the time when we try and justify things as, like, being human nature, we're trying to essentialize something that actually, like, we don't know is essential. So because we're social animals and because there's such a huge variety in human behavior and attempts to draw... I don't know. Like, maybe, like, you know, I could be totally wrong. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's just a theory. Mm. But, like... It's, it's hard to draw, like, rules about how society functions because, like, there's such a huge variety of, yeah, like, human behaviour and human experience, and I think that's true on a psychological and a social level that I feel very sceptical when people say, like, oh, well, you know, it's like when people go, like, oh, well, hunter-gatherer societies were like this, or, like, you know, apes do this, therefore, this is how gender roles should be, or this is why we don't like people of a different skin colour, or this is, you know, like... Like, you don't know that. Like, like honestly, you don't know if the reason that uh, Europeans are, like, you know, think they're superior to everyone else in the world is because we're descended from apes. Like, I, I, I don't know that you can make that connection, and that's why they went out and colonised huge parts of the globe. I don't know that you can make that connection. Maybe I'm wrong. And you recommended Jonathan Haidt's book, and yeah. hate. Yeah, the righteous mind. Yes, I'll look into it. <laughs> I don't know, Gwyneth, but I think what you're saying, I think that the kind of evolutionary thing does make sense sometimes when you look at it, but what scares me sometimes is when we do do that, we veer kind of off into kind of like <clears throat> grouping people. And like, so my PhD is on like the far right. They love all that stuff. They love it, literally like this kind of evolutionary thing that proves people we are born into a certain role and it justifies our behavior. So when you come up with it in the real world, you think, ah, oh, these, these kind of blocks seem almost natural. So like I said, it almost seems natural for me to say we look after our own. And that's what people tend to do. So you can see it makes sense from a kind of scientific point of view and a kind of social point of view. But then on the flip side, you think, oh, this kind of leads to a bad place sometimes if you follow it to its logical conclusion. We have a tendency sometimes to kind of, I don't know, like the guys I kind of read and follow on social media sometimes they have a tendency to kind of take that thinking to its its ultimate the ultimate end and it, we end up in a funny place so when we kind of use science to kind of show a kind of pattern of behavior 
I don't know, like I said, it's difficult because we are social animals. It's hard to group us in that way because this kind of, the idea that there's kind of a hierarchy of things and we do things in a certain order, it's, it's difficult. It makes, sometimes it makes it feel a bit uncomfortable, but like I said, I can sometimes, we, you can see that in reality. Like I said, when you go to certain places, you see, like in university, it tends to be white middle class. Parliament is all white middle class males. And but that's it, not like a, a natural It's not thing. a natural thing, but it, <laughs> but, it, but, it, but it will seem to go to that state. They have the same kind of social contacts, so social capital, all that kind yeah. of stuff, yeah. you know? So I, I, I take the point. I can see that. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for raising that. So Rima's asking us about um, representation in departments, um, in higher educational departments, and how there's a correlation between there not being as much research on race and ethnicity, and then um, people not, and then people within that department not knowing that much about race and ethnicity. And your point is that you're at City University and you're doing a PhD, and you find even academics and PhDs will ask you about race and inverted commas and that's what's difficult because representation matters but you don't I don't want to be the spokesperson for race I want you to just be bothered about it um and that's what's really difficult and we're sort of at that that's why tokenism is so problematic because it's sort of it, it ticks it ticks a box but it's like no I want five people of color in my department I don't want one <laughs> I, don't. I, I totally agree when I was at York I, I don't think anyone mentioned racism or anything ever once and like it was a totally white department and I saw someone tweeting about the strike who was like a post-colonial scholar and I was like oh my god they're at York what and I was like oh they're a person of color that's why <laughs> it's something that you, I reflect on so much being a person of color in higher education and in a department that hasn't got as many people of color as I'd like and it's really difficult because I want to talk about race because it is everything, it's my everyday, it's my research and it's also my life. But I need you to appreciate that. But equally, I then don't want you to talk on behalf of me as well. So it's that really, it's really difficult. It's like, you, there are, what we're lucky with at Goldsmiths is what I would describe are a lot of allies. So people that do get it, I would say, and do understand and let people have the platform to talk, but equally, there's still more to do. There's still a lot more work to do. But you see, conversely, I suppose you see this more in America now, that everyone's talking about race, but then people say, well, what about white people? Boo. What about, what about, what about them? They, this is what the all writers are saying, and <laughs> madly enough, I sit there thinking, Hmm. Yeah, the situation's changed. Women, women have got it all. I know, but... Black they, people but, have got it but all. They, but they make a point. They do make a point. Like they they don't have a voice. They sometimes they feel they don't have a they feel they don't have a voice. But they are who the specifically? Huh? <laughs> who specifically doesn't so have a voice? So they they feel white the racists don't have a voice. White working class men, <laughs> white working class men don't have a voice. That's what they feel. And to, to kind of be, people, pe pe but they would argue and they, they, they feel so that the, the, the <laughs> white people don't realise their own privilege. But if you if you speak to them, if you listen to what they're saying. And like I said, people have a tendency to laugh at them or jeer at them, but they, they truly are upset because yeah. they feel that everyone's having their identity. So people are talking about race, so black people get to talk about race, women get to talk about their gender issues, but they feel, they genuinely feel, and you can't belittle them for not feeling that way, they, they don't have a voice. Now, white, white middle-class people might have a voice, but these mm. white working-class people don't have a voice. Yeah, that's true. So they don't have the money or the access that we're talking about now. So they can't afford to go to university. 
and they feel that ethnic minorities and women are getting financial aid or assistance that, that they're not getting. So it's choosing so, the wrong so you, enemy. So you can see how that they can feel. So you can understand that. So all the stuff we're talking about applies to them too. They don't have that voice. And they see universities as places where ethnic minorities are getting a leg up. They're getting, well, it's more in America, less here. Yeah. So they're getting all this affirmative action and they feel left out. They feel left behind. But I think also that's um, a legacy of the divisions that have been made in British English society, certainly, that, you know, migrants who come to the UK who aren't white are seen as ethnic minorities who may also be working class, but they're ethnic minorities first and foremost. And then white working class people become white working class people. And there's no sense of like solidarity that actually, um, you know, people might have a lot in common with each other just Mm -hmm. because the... I know, but I think the point is when people talk about identity now and people talk about high education and stuff like that, but uh, what I'm trying to say is that is a product of racism. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> but, they, but you still can't take away that feeling. No. That they have. Okay. And that feeling is it's justified to them. And when, when, they, when they're talking about it, it's how they see that world. And they would see universities. And like I said, when, when, you, when you speak to them, they genuinely see universities. Like, if they came to Goldsmiths, they'd have, they'd have a heart attack. They, they, they feel it's a place that they can't have access to. All yeah. the stuff that we're talking about, they will feel the same. Yeah. Like I said, it's, you find yourself, it's quite, I don't know, it's been quite cathartic for me to kind of sit there and think to myself, well, I actually agree with some of the stuff that you're saying. I see your point. I can see your point. Yeah, and that's what I was saying about mm-hmm. universities. We are public institutions, mm-hmm. and yet there are millions of people in this country who would never set foot in a university yeah, because exactly. they don't think it's for them, and those doors are not open mm-hmm. to them. And what makes it, and then with the whole idea of kind of marketization of like, I feel, I feel like so if I was a working class person and I'm going to get in debt to the tune of, I don't know how much the debt is for a student now when they come out, I want to get a 2-1 and <laughs> be able to earn that money to pay that debt off. Yeah. Because I'm not looking to be in debt, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I can understand that. I can understand that this... And I think the bigger picture is with the white working class is that um, the people... The, what I would argue is who their enemy or who their frustration should be pointed at is the white middle class upper class men that have failed them and that's people in power and the ones that are leading them astray now onto a journey of race like feelings of racism and xenophobia and and women and of course Theresa May and Margaret Thatcher have got a few yeah 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 I mean to name a few Boris Johnson Michael Gove Nigel Farage all these people very irresponsible yeah people and yeah i think you're right like but the en- but the enemy isn't people of color or women i don't like i said it's all about opening up spaces for people to talk right and like i said in universities we pride ourselves on being like intellectual and rationalizing stuff and talking we need to talk more and this is what we don't do ironically enough so it's a place where everyone goes to be intellectual and all this kind of stuff we quote lots of books but we don't really talk really That's a good point. i'm guilty of it myself so you know You've been listening to our live Surviving Society podcast. We'll be back every two weeks, so don't forget to subscribe. And rate us on iTunes. (laughs) Thank you to the sound people. To Dan. (laughs) Sorry, to Dan and Stephen. No, wait, Dan, don't stop yet. Dan and Stephen, big thank you. You've been amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers.